Hi, this is Tiffany Bovo. Welcome to the What's Next podcast, where I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming Professor Christian Turwish to the podcast today. What I love about him is he is the Professor of Operations and Information Management at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. He is the co-author of multiple books, one, Matching Supply with Demand, as well as Innovation Tournaments, which I can't wait to talk about, and his latest book, Connected Strategies. He launched the first massive online open course in business on Coursera. Since its inception, more than half a million students have enrolled in the course, which I think is fantastic. In addition to his teaching and his research, he is the host of Work of Tomorrow, a nationally radio show on Sirius XM 132. And this month, The Age of the Continuous Connection is the cover story for Harvard Business Review. So welcome, Professor, to my podcast. Hey, Tiffany. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you because there's just so much to talk about. But before we get in to our conversation, I love to start this off with something I call bullish and bearish. And hopefully nothing too painful. Bullish, you're for it. Bearish, you're against it. And uh, it should be short, sweet, and easy. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. The first one, high-touch customer engagement requires a very high level of trust. Bullish. Absolutely. Although I knew you were going to say that. The next one is a little lighter. Are you bullish or bearish on a maximum on vehicle speed on the Autobahn? <laughs> I'm very bullish for reducing that. I'm bullish for a speed limit. So I'm bearish. Oh, you are? Speed. Yeah. Wow. Surprising as a German, but I, that's one of the things I love about the U.S. Because you're not go faster than 100 miles per hour, and even that is too fast. I, I was expecting you to say, you know, no, <laughs> bearish. Okay. And then the last one, equally fun. Bullish or bearish on flying taxis? <laughs> it's not going to happen in the next 20 years. I had the CEO of Volocopter, a market leader on this on my radio show. Uh, very cool stuff. They are doing amazing technology, but this is not going to be the replacement of the taxi in my lifetime. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I, I have mixed feelings about it. So let's just hypothetically say that it was going to happen in the next three to five years. Would you get on one? <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, I've uh, well, nothing to lose is a dangerous term in this sense, right? But if it is happening, and again, let me emphasize that any thought leader, any academic, any industry professional has a very horrible track records of predicting the future. But if it is going to happen, I'll try it out. I promise you. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm a little mixed on it. I'm a little mixed on it. You know, I, I, I travel a lot, I'm sure, like you do. And, um, you know, while I feel very secure in, you know, the Tic Tac in the sky, otherwise known as a airplane, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I'm not sure if I get in a, you know, sort of a, maybe an autonomous ta flying taxi. I'm not sure. <laughs> it requires a lot of trust. Yeah. It does require a lot of trust. Well, you know, I'm just going to jump right in. If you don't mind, I'd love to start with uh, these innovation tournaments. Uh, you know, I think that everyone tosses around the terms innovation and we're very innovative and, is, and you know, uh, the top innovative companies. And first, you know, kind of what does innovation mean to you? And then and what was the sort of genesis of these tournaments? Because I think it's really fascinating. So you can hear from my accent that I sound like a German because I am a German. 
And I also come across to my audience as typically a little bit like a control freak uh, because I am a control freak. I'm a professor, as you said, a professor of operations management. And so you line these two things, German and operations, up with the word innovation and you get typically a zero intersection. And I think that is unfair in the sense that the way I think about innovation is a very process-driven approach to that. So I'm very skeptical when people say like, oh, let's have such a great time and go out in the woods and touch the trees and great ideas will come. My view has been that innovation is a process. It's a process that can be managed. And I find the innovation tournaments framework that I uh, developed together with my friend and colleague, uh, Carl Ulrich, I find that the innovation tournament framework is the right process to run innovation in a company, but also for an individual organization, small organization or a startup. So do you think innovation is also, uh, or, you know, that it has this very deep cultural component as well? There's absolutely a cultural component to uh, innovation, and especially if it plays out in a big organization. But let's not fool ourselves. I mean, even if you're a C-level executive, you cannot show up to work on Monday morning and say, like, okay, we're going to be having a very innovative culture in my company from this day onwards. Uh, that's not how you change culture uh, versus what you can do. And what we've done with many organizations is we've gone in, we ran tournaments, we have people experience innovation, we have experienced them the power of process. And then step by step, you start the culture, you see the culture changing. And so it's much more actionable. Again, I totally agree with you, Tiffany, that culture is what we are solving for ultimately. But cultural change is nothing that you have even at the top management as a lever that you could just kind of play with in the direction that you want to move. And so when you say tournaments, you know, is there like winners and losers and you have, you know, do you use tournaments in the classic sense or what does that mean? Are, are groups competing against each other or what's, what's the foundation for that? So at the risk of uh, ruining any academic credentials I have, but I think the best metaphor is American Idol, right? If you think about American Idol, you have thousands of thousands of people who show up there. You have, and I say this with all of the respect of the people who sing there, but you have really crappy input, right? Most of the people who get auditioned in the first round cannot sing. And then what you have is you have this process unfold from the auditions to more auditions to crowdsourcing to basically some coaching afterwards, some dance lessons, some voice lessons. And out of that, you're going to get a star. And to me and my, my co-author, Kaorik, that has always been fascinating that you take something as something like music that is the most remarkable, the most creative, the most artistic thing that we, the human race, have been able of producing. And if you think about it, even music can be the outcome of a process. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think American Idol is a great analogy because it's also global, but it, it helps where there's lots of input and, you know, somewhere along the, the way, the things that are probably not as uh, opportunistic uh, start to fall off. And I think that that's what's important, that whole decision making between you can't chase every idea, you have to figure out what's the right idea for your business, right? Exactly, right? You, you need many ideas to get one good one, and that really means start producing, right? I mean, just give me more, and then we can afford ourselves to reject a thousand ideas because we've generated a thousand and one. Yeah, and I, I say, I, I also recently published a book, and I, and I made a comment, uh, you know, made it, said, said something in a paragraph that, uh, you know, sort of a book that's done, very well, uh, blue ocean strategy around thinking about sort of what is that innovation? How do we go after that blue ocean? 
there's so much about that that I like. And then my question always is, and my concern sort of twofold is, if someone comes back in to the organization and executive and says, look, we need to innovate. You know, I, I read this article in Harvard Business Review or, you know, I read this book uh, on this, you know, innovation tournaments and I'm, we're trying to get closer to the customer, trying to do all these things and tries to force innovation in a culture that doesn't even know how to innovate. You know, I don't know how to fail fast. I don't know how to be agile. I don't know how to create scrum teams or whatever the term is for the moment. Um, that the culture can't even handle the pace of which innovation, uh, you know, innovative ideas is needed. What, what's your recommendation for for companies or for leaders who have a culture that isn't very innovative, but they want to do something like this? I want to emphasize the power of process again, right? Even the kind of the German control freaks like me, we understand process, right? You can't just tell me to be creative. When you tell me to be creative, I'm looking for my process, and that process is called innovation tournament. Um, so I've worked with very partnered, uh, I will not read these names, but very boring traditional companies that most of us would say they have no culture of innovation whatsoever, but they used to execute, they used to follow processes, they have processes for their fulfillment, their supply chain, their market research, their HR and their legal teams. And so for them, actually, the idea that there would be a process that they could follow is, is quite appealing. And so I think the commitment, and it's typically a commitment that has to have to come from the top, the commitment that's work through this process together, and we typically do this like in a two or three day long workshop where we get people together and we literally force people to have ideas, and then we crowdsource them, we refine them, we form teams. Again, that process is a starting point, and then even a really boring, boring organization goes like, wow, that was kind of fun. Can we do this again? What would it take to roll this out at scale? And that is, I think, how you get people change in their culture. Yeah, and that's great advice. I think that's great advice. I think everyone wants to be more innovative. They don't know where to begin. Uh, and, and I'm a, while I'm a huge fan of process, I'm also not a fan of process because, you know, sometimes you can, you know, sort of overthink things and, you know, uh, you know, just completely try to analysis paralysis and around processes, right? So I'm all for the structured approach. Um and then also using you know, sort of the skills and intuition of those, you know, that that maybe are, are are a little less regimented. I think the balance of those two things is important. Yeah, I like that observation. And I think that is the power of the tournament. It still leaves some room for the individual and for the team for that magic spark to fly. But it gives it direction and it coordinates it. It keeps it on schedule. But there's certainly still the moment of individual brilliance. And we're not taking all the fun out of it whatsoever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, with that, I want to, I want to pivot to your new work because I'm couldn't be more thrilled to have this particular conversation, not only the timing, because, uh, you know, the, the latest sort of cover story on the age of continuous connection on Harvard business review for May, June of 2019, but because the topic is so near and dear to me. So I'd love to get kind of your elevator pitch, you know, if you will, of sort of what got you interested in this particular topic? And then I'll dig, you know, then we'll start to dig into what you found through, uh, through your research. It was really the realization, Tiffany, that uh, as we are looking at the world, the way that we as customers, as consumers, as patients uh, interact 
with the service providers, with the firms that we do business with, is, is changing. It used to be you were a patient and you were in the hospital. And while you were in the hospitals, all the doctors, all the nurses, everybody was taking care for you 24-7. But then you get discharged, you're out of the hospital, and, and suddenly you're gone and the connection is over. Similar to your bank. I mean, you're thinking about... You know, in the old days, going to the bank, more recently, you log into your website or you go on your iPhone app and you have an interaction with a service provider, either human or kind of AI based. And while that is happening, all the action is on. Everybody has all hands on decks. And then the episode is over and we totally forget about each other. And what we see in a number of industries now is really that we can be continuously connected 24-7 all the days through the years. And that really enables very new ways of delighting the customers. It allows us to provide more value to the customer and potentially do so at lower cost. And that's what's really important, right? So I think that there are things that you talk about uh, around using the customer as a catalyst to rethink business models, correct? Absolutely, right? I think we have very much in the old way world, we have this mindset that the customer asks for something and we deliver it, right? And that, that is not easy. Don't get me wrong. I say this as an operations professor, just having, if you think about a company like an Uber, having a car available whenever a customer wants a ride, that's a pretty damn hard problem. But that alone, I would argue, is no longer enough. You have to basically be able to anticipate customer needs even before the customer knows themselves what they want. And sometimes, and we call this coaching behavior, sometimes you have to be a little bit parental and the customer might want to have order some ice cream now, but your job as a firm might be to tell them, well, look, actually, that ice cream is not good for you today. Right. And, and But switching business models is really difficult for companies. I mean, large and small. I mean, you know, I think that you just nailed something on on that whole conversation of kind of the job to be done, right? So what's the job that needs to be done? H how can you solve that problem for a customer? You can't chase every job they want you to do, quote unquote, right? Otherwise, you're all over the place and you don't have sort of any any strategy or any focus. But once you identify, you know, a, a group of customers that you, of course, feel like you can service and sell to and engage with and all of those things and they're profitable and all of that, then you want to double down there. That's where you maybe start to make the decision that you want to shift your, your business model a little bit. And I think you were able to find um, a, a handful of kinds of companies and the ways that they would approach it. And, and I'd love to hear, you know, you sort of walk us through what, what those four are and, and why you landed on them. So we think about a customer journey. Again, you as an expert in customer experiences will appreciate that. But right? if I think about a running shoe, uh, a printer that I have at my home, it's not just the product that matters. It's the use and the whole journey that led up to the purchase and the usage of that product that we call the customer journey. And that journey has many pain points that can dramatically impact the overall utility, the overall value I get from the usage of the product. So we call, we speak about four R's. We say that a product journey starts with a recognition, recognize. I need to recognize that I need a new running shoe. I need, I need to recognize that I have to see my dentist because there's something wrong in my mouth. The need previously might have been latent that the, two, the teeth were decaying, but I just didn't recognize it. So there's recognize. I need to take a first action and turn that recognition into a request. I say like, ah, my two thirds, I need to see my dentist. Um, 
my belly is growing wider. I need to start running. I need to turn the recognition into a request. And then the firm sits on the other side and uh, they, they're going to have to respond to the request. So recognize, request, respond. And then to turn that episode of a customer interaction into a continuous relationship, there's a fourth R and that is repeat. Recognize, request, respond, repeat is basically giving us a loop that customer and firm have to go through over and over again to build trust and increase personalization. And that recognize, you know, I talk a lot about the fact that, let me just stick on recognize for a second, that it used to be recognize was reactive. Like I recognized because someone called in and I reacted. Then it moved to being like I was more proactive. I recognized that their credit card was about to expire. So I reached out and called them and said, your service is going to be interrupted if you don't update your credit card expiration, right? That's kind of being very proactive. Absolutely. And now this recognize is becoming much more predictive. I predict that because of your past behavior and because of others who look like you, I think you're going to do that. Then I respond, then I repeat, right? But I think we've moved from those three. Would you agree that kind of reactive, proactive, predictive? I totally love how, how you frame this. I will make one caveat to your statement in a, in a second, Tiffany, but I totally want to reinforce what you said. Uh, there is an approach. We call this respond to desire. You as a firm, you wait there till you get a marching order. The order comes in and you, are, you respond to that request and you deliver that product or service. That is an amazing cool product or service in the old days. Now I think the bar is higher. If you think about healthcare, if you think about education, if you think about financial services, there's this predictive element to it where you say like, well, Christian, it really from my sensors that I have on your body, it looks like you have to see a cardiologist. I'm not waiting till your heart stops beating or till you have chest pain. We're gonna act proactively. So that is a very important new form of business model that only was possible in the age of continuous connection because we have the sensors on your body and continuously data transfer. The one point, uh, Tiffany, where I want to add a little bit of a nuance to what you just said is we don't necessarily think that the old way of doing business, respond to desire, give the customer what they want immediately, is going away. It's just going to be a one out of multiple forms of having a relationship. Again, respond to desire is one. Uh, we talk about curated offerings where you help the customer choose what is good for them. You go a little bit further into the consumption chain, into the customer journey, a little bit further upstream. Then there's what we call coach behavior, where you say like, well, look, you've been eating too much ice cream, Christian. Just you want to buy that extra ice cream right now, but I'm going to block your credit card. It's not healthy for you. Uh, to then the ultimate case of uh, auto, what we call automatic execution, where you say like, Christian, by the way, I rebalanced your uh, stock market portfolio today because it allowed you to save some taxes and improve your risk position. And you basically get, this, you get informed after the fact. And so those are four different ways of interacting with a firm. They are not better or worse. They are not like old versus new. We find all of them have their place, and it's the job of the firm to figure out which customer and which market segment to bless with which type of customer relationship. Yeah, and you said something in there, right? But now I'm going to go back to one of my bullish and bearish questions on that high customer engagement requires trust. That you know, financial advisor or your dentist or your doctor, if I'm going to start to be much more prescriptive, you know, in that either the automatic execution, yeah. you know, where I'm doing something, you have to be willing to give 
the brand you're working with, you know, or, or consuming from access to data about you so that they can start to behave that way. And, and if you're going to give data, you have to trust the fact that they're going to use that data appropriately to give you a more personalized experience. Fair? Oh, absolutely. Right. And uh, I think that trust, like anything in any form of trust has to be earned. Right. I mean, it's a big ask for a startup to say, like, hey, we have this new way of managing uh, your robo investments and just uh, hand us over all of your 401k savings and we'll do it for you. I just go like, yeah, maybe not. I'll give you five grand and you do a good job with it over the next year. And then maybe I give you another 50 and we build it up. And so I think a misunderstanding and a mistake that many companies have done is they've just sucked up as much data from us as consumers as they could get with no really having no idea what they would do with this data. And then they were vulnerable to uh, hacking and uh, data breaches. And they were oftentimes uh, stupid enough to sell the data for little money to some other companies. And that has created this kind of the, the weird that has created the consumer skepticism that we are now seeing. But I happily have my financial uh, partner, the, the name doesn't matter here, but the company where I have my retirement savings, I happily entrust them. And so do I trust my doctors? I don't mind sharing data, but with the right people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people miss that a little bit, but, uh, and, and that sort of the role trust plays in all of this, right? I mean, there's just, it's very difficult for you, um, you know, to get it done otherwise. Uh, and so, you know, I, I'd love to dig a little deeper into uh, this companies that have been able to shift from these occasional, as you say, episodic interactions and moving towards this continuously connected kind of engagement. Because when I say something like that, we, we use different words, but at the end of the day, you and I are saying very similar things. Here's the pushback I get. Sounds awfully expensive. Like, how am I going to do that? Is it just humans? Um, you know, is it, I have to invest in AI machine learning or bots or, you know, so is some technology going to do that? Will it displace jobs? You know, it's kind of, it's overwhelming for them to think about this high touch in the long tail of their customer base, right? So if you have a hundred customers, a thousand, 10,000, a hundred thousand, a million, whatever it is, a good chunk of your revenue comes from a certain set. And then you have this long tail. And so that, you know, one of your colleagues at Wharton, Peter Fader, talks all about sort of lifetime value and customer mm-hmm. centricity and all of those things. Um, you know, how would you advise somebody to stay continuously connected without overwhelming themselves with everything that would have to go behind that kind of statement? I had lunch with Pete Fader today, so I'm glad that you bring him up. And I, I, I say something that I hope Pete will agree with, uh, which is the customer has to come first. Right? The purpose of a connected strategy, the purpose of having a continuous relationship and getting data from your customer is not to get data, it's to do a better job. And so you have to understand what is the need that the customer ultimately faces. And I think there I like to broaden the need to what has been typically thought of as a need and think about the deeper desires and motivations of the customer. For example, I do not have a need to see a cardiologist. I have the need to be healthy. I do not have a need to buy a running shoe. 
I want to have fun and stay healthy through sports. I do not want to buy a textbook. I want to acquire knowledge. And so if you think about the deeper need the customer faces, you are basically looking for other ways and richer ways of delivering the value to the customer as compared to it's just a transactional, like I'm going to sell you a book, I'm going to sell you a shoe. If that transactional mindset is your focus, you're always going to be competing. You're always going to be exposed to price competition. And you mentioned the kind of the blue ocean logic earlier on. It's a kind of a red ocean type of business. If you, however, establish yourself, Tiffany, as my running partner, you establish yourself as your trusted advisor for your business career and business learning. If in that position, you're helping me so much more, I'm trusting you with more data, but you also have much more value and thereby I as a consumer have a higher willingness to pay. Absolutely. And, 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 but I think, you know, one of the things I like, you know, like I was just saying that a lot of the resistance I get is it sounds like a lot of effort for me. Like I don't even know how to navigate. That's one, two, do I have to make more investments in technology? Three, can my culture do sort of what this is? And and I totally agree. It's kind of customer first. Uh, but ultimately, I, I actually flip that a little bit. And I say it's employee first and customer centric, right? Because if your employees are engaged, you can actually do this continuous connected, right? Because they're so integral to the experience someone has with your brand. So, you know, your employee engagement and employee sort of satisfaction and happiness lends itself to a great experience. Um, Absolutely, absolutely. And I really want to avoid that we are equating everything here to technology. Uh, I think if you have a really great employee uh, workforce on hand, and that employee force can anticipate customer needs, it can help the customer with things. And that might be a very old-fashioned style-connected strategy. Uh, We did write this book more with AI and sensors and new forms of connectivity in mind, Uh, but also those, right? I mean, the costs of these technologies are plummeting as we speak, and a lot of these technologies you can basically just go to vendors and and, and get going very quickly, uh, as opposed to like 10, 15 years ago, you would have to make major technology investments yourself. Uh, We argue that that's no longer the case. Yeah, and, and I would agree with you. Uh, I, I don't think we have a technology problem, full stop, regardless of sort of where I work. You know, ultimately, I think we have a people process problem. So understanding kind of what you're trying to do and deliver these connected experiences means maybe you have to reorganize your people, train them differently, hire differently. And then the processes you put behind that kind of effort, I think, is enabled by technology, but isn't fixed by technology alone, right? You have to kind of, in in my opinion, have those three. Would you agree? Sort of people process and technology. Yeah. And really to emphasize our book is not a technology book. The emphasis is really starting on the what, what does the customer need? What does the customer want? What is the user experience? And then there is a how piece is like, what are the processes? What is the value chain that makes this possible? Uh, that, that the what, the how questions you have to answer. Otherwise, you make no way forward to a new business model. Absolutely. Well, you know, this is this has been fantastic. Uh, you know, if there's is there anything you would leave, uh, you know, for our listeners about being more connected with customers and continuously connected and, and, and innovation, anything we didn't cover that you think would be, you know, important for people to walk away with? 
I think we're living in very exciting times, Tiffany. I think uh, if you think about the sectors that we as kind of human beings should worry most about, which is, in my view, healthcare and education, we see new business models that are now becoming possible, that we can take better care of our people, keep patients healthier and out of the hospital longer, and we can educate our children and our workforce for a better future. I mean, that is something I look forward to, and I hope our book has done a small contribution on that journey. Well, fantastic. Well, you know, thank you so much for joining me today, uh, Christian, on the What's Next pad- podcast. H- how can people sort of follow and continue to follow your work? What's the best way to, to do that? So as anybody these days, we launched a website called connected-strategy.com uh, that basically uh, features a book, has uh, tons of free podcasts on there. We feature some cases on there. Uh, there is a book, Connected Strategy, by my co-author, Nikolai Zigerko, and uh, myself, Christian Tervich. Uh, and then if you have a last name like Tervich, uh, you have no place to hide. Uh, just type the name into Google, and you will find me quickly. Well, excellent. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us today. I've, I, I love having a conversation with somebody who uh, can take the academic angle on, on something that, that I, uh, I know I'm passionate about as well as many of our listeners. So again, thank you for your time. Been a pleasure, Tiffany. What a pleasure to have Christian on the What's Next podcast today. What perfect timing. I found the conversation around the age of continuous connection fascinating. It's always great to hear from those that look at these challenges all brands face from a customer experience and customer centricity perspective from a new way and really helping individuals and businesses frame up how they can approach these kinds of challenges that they have. I loved the way that he has identified these new business models that fundamentally change the way firms interact with their customers. And he had respond to desire, curated offering, coaching behavior, and automatic execution. I think it's just really important we all keep in mind that we have to find different ways of delighting the customers that you serve today and the ones you hope to serve tomorrow. So I hope you found the What's Next podcast great today. If you did, please subscribe leave some feedback, leave a a review and share with your friends. Again, I always appreciate you listening. Thanks for spending some time with me here today.